0: Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about vocation and ministry here in Portland, Oregon. I am David Libby.
1: And I am Josh Hawk.
0: And today we have a very special guest, uh, someone that whose um, ministry and work I've followed for years. Uh, he doesn't know me, but uh, we're going to talk to him today. A guy named AJ Swoboda. Thanks for being here, AJ.
2: Oh, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I... Uh, I met you at a college ministry that you used to do at U of O called the Onyx House. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um so can you tell us about that how you got into doing uh ministry to college students and uh what kinds of things happened there cuz that was that was an interesting ministry.
2: Oh, yeah, interesting is one of many adjectives that you could use. Um yeah, it was it was a uh a really exciting time in both my wife and my life. We were, uh, students, both of us, my wife grew up in Eugene. I moved to Eugene from Salem when I went to college there and we, um, really kind of got a heart for, um, college students. And so we stayed in Eugene. We were there for almost 10 years and we pastored at this place. And it's great to see you again, uh, after, um, all these years. We pastored a, a place called the Onyx House, and it was a campus ministry at the University of Oregon. A phenomenal uh, college ministry that really was was life changing for us, but hopefully helpful for other people. And um, it's still going. It's it's just this awesome on campus ministry that helps uh, students, particularly at the U of O and at the schools at the school that you guys went to, uh, other schools in town. And so we love college students. We always have, and and many times wondered why in the world we ever left.
0: Right. So um this was was this a ministry of uh Faith Center or were you just yeah. connected? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, Yep. Yeah, the the Onyx House was the uh, official college age ministry of Eugene Faith Center, which was a kind of kind of a historic charismatic uh, evangelicalish um uh church uh in Eugene. It has historically been one of the the the, the bigger churches in Eugene and it has uh, a huge college Uh, outreach so the onyx house yeah is directly connected to eugene faith center
0: yeah faith center uh man that that church saved me at a period of my life i i was doing youth ministry for about five years and i burned out hard and i was i i mean i go i go through these moments every so often but i was i was just kind of ready to be done and um just uh the I could I could bike from my place to Faith Center, and so I started going there. And I think just being able to be ministered to for a season, um, yeah. man, that helped me a lot. So, yeah, yeah
1: that's good
0: ministry. That's a wonderful. To, yeah.
1: So AJ, um, kind of the big theme of this uh, of our podcast, you know, it, its title is Unsuccess and. We are really, I guess, kind of challenging the status quo, um, both in ministry and then life in general, um, trying to push back against this idea of the American dream, maybe this pursuit of kind of health, wealth, and happiness. Um, and, you know, we're still relatively young in the game, I guess, um, but have uh, have experienced enough burnout, enough unmet expectations Mm-hmm. um to, to to kind of realize or to th- to to think that there's got to be something there's got to be something more like what are the things that that really matter and so for us in the church you know we have a metrics that is usually given to us by um you know by a by a a district or by a denomination um or some you know some organization, organizational structure, and we measure all sorts of things you know um we measure how much money we're bringing in we measure how many people come on any given week um and then you know if we're really holy we, of course we measure the the salvations and the baptisms um and and of course like the the argument is that well. You know Jesus counted numbers and um, and numbers actually matter because they're people but what what I've discovered is this it actually becomes more stressful, and we end up even like subconsciously chasing after something that doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things and so trying to not redefine success but actually eliminate it from our vocabulary and use language more like faithfulness, steadfastness um, and obedience rather than that. And, and I, I think I've not read um, a lot of your stuff, um, you know, but just kind of based on titles and kind of glancing through, like, these are some of the themes that you seem to, you know, do mm-hmm. some writing around and, um, and have some opinions and thoughts about.
2: Boy, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, so the American dream. Uh, w- when you talk about the American dream, certainly you can define that in a lot of different ways. But you, you mentioned a few: uh, success, productivity, um, uh, accrual of resources and wealth, and the, you know those those are part of our cultural story, and without question, have had a deep effect on uh, on on the way that we imagine the way church exists I remember a long time ago reading this book uh, last name drain it was called the mcdonaldization of the church hmm. and the, <laughs> the the premise of the book was that we had unintentionally it wasn't intentional but we had inculcated uh, all the assumptions of uh, franchise in, in industry we have we have basically taken on the assumptions of those uh, industries upon ourselves, like McDonald's, that we have basically become franchises, and the the book, you know, very critical of the American church, and and to some degree, I, I agreed with with the, the the overarching point of the book. But it is true that we we do that. Um, it seems to me that Jesus was always wrestling with his disciples' understanding of what greatness was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, of course, the story of um the disciples coming to jesus with their with their mom to settle the argument and saying you know can we um settle who's going to be able to sit at the right hand of god who is the greatest in the kingdom um and jesus does not in that story say that being great is bad he doesn't sure. say hey you shouldn't not want to be great greatness is great we should want great the problem is our definition of greatness Right. Um we not not want success. I want success. The question is what is our definition of success? Uh that's the that's the question that maybe it sounds like you are really trying to help us rethink. Um we have overemphasized the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the detriment of the fruit of the Holy Spirit.
1: Right. Love, yeah.
2: patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control.
1: Because the, those things aren't as sexy. Like they're not as Cool,
2: yeah um, yeah i'm a, I'm a Pentecostal and and there's never been an argument in our denomination whether an initial sign of the evidence of the Holy Spirit was gentleness, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. yeah,
2: so we we do we take the big gifts and and the ones that are visible and and the ones that are um, seen. And we make those the, the the ones that. And again, I'm I'm trust me, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm all for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but there's there's another list.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the,
2: fruit, the fruit of the spirit uh, is uh, it, it it matters. Well, and that I, is success.
1: yeah. That, it's so I
2: don't true. like uh, when we read John fifteen, which is a fruitfulness, by the way. Um, you could say that that's about success. Success and fruitful, fruitfulness maybe in some ways are the same thing. But we always assume fruitfulness is determined by, um, the, yeah. But as you said, the number of converts or the number of people that come to church or the number of people that are uh, being church planters and the pressure to plant churches. And but, but I think when we read John 15, I think it's really important that it be said that um, cultivating character is as much fruit – as ministry fruit, fruit fruitfulness. Mm-hmm. And there are times that I'm not leading people to Jesus, but I'm growing in love, joy, pace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So success is important, just how we define it matters greatly.
1: Sure. Um we're just finishing up uh you know, a study in the book of James. And one of the things that strikes me, uh, he talks a lot about wealth and he speaks against wealth. Um often but it's oh that final the final chapter his concluding thoughts um he i think he really gets at the heart of the issue of what he's speaking against and that is the fact that wealth was accumulated um kind of on the backs or at the um you know, at the expense of others mm-hmm. and and that's what like that's what is never okay, you know like wealth is fine, the accumulation, the pursuit of um uh, of stuff is all right, achievements are okay, but it's what what's our motivation, and then who are we like who are we stepping on to to get that, and what's the the greater goal i guess in all of that mm-hmm. well uh yeah.
2: For every um, – uh, it's a sensitive question that comes at a very sensitive time in my life. I mean I, I feel uh, a tremendous amount of um, shame around <clears throat> the fact that I um, am as – I've written as much as I have and spoken at as many things as I have and I've done as many things as I have because I, um, I'm greedy, and I want to be the center of the room and I want, I, and it, I remember last year, uh, we had this, uh, our district, our, our denominational district had this barbecue for pastors and it's just supposed to be a barbecue or just get together and eat burgers and stuff. And I got the call from the divisional superintendent who's technically my boss. And he said, Hey, I want you to come to this barbecue and I want you to share for 10 minutes on the Sabbath, which is because I'd written this book on the Sabbath. And he wanted me to come and share. So I show up. It's very odd to go to a barbecue and give a ten minute talk. Nobody wants to hear from another pastor about anything at those yeah, things. Right,
1: sure, <laughs> right, yeah.
2: And I pulled I pulled the divisional superintendent aside and I said, Why i I'm not I don't want to do this. Why did you ask me to do it? <laughs> and he said he said to me, Well, the only way I can get you to anything is if I ask you to speak.
0: Uh huh. Oh man, that had to hurt.
2: Oh, oh, it hurt super hard because that it hurt because it's true. Yeah, I I am a slut for speaking opportunities. I'm a slut for ministry opportunities. It's an idolatry. Um, yeah. It's it, and it, it 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 eats at my soul. It is it is on it, it, Jesus loves me greatly and is 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 bringing me through it. But now and you know when you say yes to everything too, you don't even really think about this side that you're everything that you get is somebody else's not getting it
0: Hmm. yeah so there's Uh, part interesting
2: right like you're 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 literally stealing from other people when you take an opportunity because of your own greed and selfishness i'm not saying that we everything that we take is selfishness but when we operating out of greed and selfishness we are taking from other people. In, in Numbers, I, the, one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my entire ministry was I preached through the book of Numbers for nine months.
0: <laughs> nice. Um,
2: <laughs> and I, uh, in, in Numbers, you read the story of the manna on the floor. God puts manna on the ground for people to eat. And God every day, except for the Sabbath, puts enough manna on the floor for everybody. Every day, God puts enough for everybody. And his commandment is, ex- ex- is explicit. Do not take more than you need. Because if you do, you're stealing from somebody else because God gives enough for everybody. And that, that passage changes my perspective so deeply because God is providing enough food and water for our world. He is providing enough. It's just that he allows us to be greedy and steal from other people. I do that in ministry all the time. I take the mic and ultimately steal it from other people. And, uh, Little did you know that this was a counseling session for me. Right, and you guys are walking me through some heavy stuff here. Um, but it is true. We are narcissistic punks who want to be at the center of the room. All yeah, of us are
1: absolutely. So, all right. So I, I've been really kind of wrestling. I, I think probably if if we're all honest with ourselves, I think anybody in a pastoral position, you know, kind of wrestles with that you know, at least earlier on. Um, but I've been drawn to Richard Rohr and some of his writings and, and, uh, and his thoughts kind of around this. And, um, he wrote a book called falling upward. Um, and we've talked about this before on the show. Um, but he, he mentions two halves of life. There's the first half of life and second half of life. And I have, I've grabbed hold of people who I believe to be a second half of life. People, um, much they are like Henry Nowin and Eugene Peterson are two that just stand out to me of like, wow, you guys you guys got it. Like I, I never do I did I feel like they were super narcissistic, you know, or um I don't know, there's just something about them that that was really attractive to me. But Roar talks about that narcissism and he says in the first half of life, he goes, it's essential. He says we actually we, we need that. We need the successes. We need the numbers. We need the pats on the back. Um, and and that actually makes us who we are in, in, in the second half of life. Um, and so I've been, like this, this whole last year, I've been wrestling with that um, of, you know, at times when I'm feeling kind of discouraged um, because I'm not, because I'm not getting that, you know, maybe like, you know, for you, it's like, oh well, the speaking engagement fell through, you know, or or I I didn't get a, my new book out, you know, early enough, or, um, and and we, oh, it it's so so mm-hmm. fascinating the feeling that that we get, and we can be brutally honest, and we can be aware and saying, yes, like this is this is bad, like I I am being narcissistic. This is not who I really want to be, but but it's it's like an addiction and a craving that um oh, that we, we almost need. Yes. And yeah. can can
2: I just pause you for a moment? Yeah. At, and, and to say um that um for those of us like myself who do not pastor large churches who pastor smaller communities. I mean our church is not massive um here in Portland I mean a couple hundred people. Um that, that actually those other opportunities of speaking at other places eventually become and play the same role that pornography plays to a man oh. who's to his wife.
1: Holy smokes. And, wow.
2: and, and that is that we instead of finding joy in the wife that we have, we start lusting and dreaming for other women and speaking at other things eventually becomes almost church pornography. We we are not finding satisfaction in what God is doing where we're at, so we go elsewhere. And I can say with experience as a church pornography addict that it is completely unsatisfying. And it all, all it does is it gives you a paycheck and the applause is great. But when you come home, the same feeling of discontent uh, is there and the the hard work the hard work of actually finding contentment in the things that god has given to us to do is the work that none of us want none of us want to do that this is why millennials travel as much as they do by the way hmm. is that we don't we are unable we are unwilling we are we refuse to choose to believe that god can find that that we can find grace and peace in god in our crappy little
1: lives yeah
0: wow can we can we hang on this idea for a while because first of all damn (laughs) uh what a what a good um what a good thought i it it sounds like this realization kind of broke you is that true yes yeah yeah um so so like how did that happen? Because cause I know Josh and I definitely have experienced that sort of um, discontent with where we are at times, uh, and I know that's true of tons of not only pastors but people doing any kind of ministry anywhere. Um, they they can feel this discontentment. Like, um, so if if you don't mind, how did like how did that realization hit you? Like what, uh, what kind of happened there? Um, uh,
2: there's probably two main dimensions. One, one or two, two kind of big components. One is, uh, the, the pain that it causes, uh, my wife when I leave, hmm. um, and the heartbreak that it brings her. And then simultaneously the heartbreak that it brings my my son my 7-year-old son who is tired of his dad being gone um i mean i you know i i say that i don't believe in child sacrifice mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah but
2: my travel schedule would say otherwise
0: right wow
2: so i would say that those two biggies are uh are what has broken me Our, oh, man. our idolatry almost always affects our closest relationships first. So, um, when we, whatever our idols are is reflected in the people that are closest to us, our spouse, our wife, our children, our husband, our, our, um, our closest friends, like they are the ones that, that, uh, pay the, the biggest price. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to answer it other than, um, hurting my family and and seeing it time and time again
0: sure sure um let's uh let's go along a similar line um you you said that you wrote on sabbath and um and so i think there's a there's a good conversation to be had there as well um we uh when we talk about Sabbath in the church and and Sabbath for um, you know as importance for everyone, not just um, uh, ministry leaders, but I think ministry uh, people in ministry especially um, tend to leave Sabbath on the back burner um, mm. because there's there's a lot of good to do. I remember hearing from a pastor who said um, that he requires his volunteers to do 40 hours a week and his paid staff to do 65 at least every week and, and um, hopefully more up towards 70 or 80. Um, And I, I, I heard that years ago and I've thought about it since and I'm like, I mean, you, you talk about strain on a family and also a personal relationship with God. I, I fe- I feel like that's dangerous territory. Mm. Um so can you talk about like uh what, um what you see as the importance of Sabbath for um you for um why you think people should um reconnect with this idea? Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean yeah, we- Yeah, so for those that are interested in more than just a a three-minute response, I I wrote a book on this called Subversive Sabbath that I'd encourage anybody to write. And there are some phenomenal resources on the Sabbath available. Matthew Sleeth has written some phenomenal books, obviously Abram Heschel's classic book on, on the Sabbath. Uh, my friend, John Mark Comer wrote a book on the Sabbath. Marva Dawn's book on the Sabbath is incredible. Um, for me, uh, the moment that I knew that this needed to be addressed, the issue of church and Sabbath was when we planted the church nine years ago, um, a few years into the church plant, I began to observe that our church was getting pretty tired. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to, to, to address that from the pulpit. And I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath and, um, I was shocked at at how, you know, I've I've preached on all sorts of things. I've preached on things that have upset people. I've preached on marijuana. I preached on sexuality. I'm I'm very conservative on sexuality. I preached on, um, I preached on things that have really upset people. And uh, I preached on the Sabbath. And I don't think we've ever had more people leave our church. What? Um, yeah, it's it's shocking how offensive the idea of rest is. So I knew the pro- I knew there was there was something there, and then and then uh, about a, a few weeks after that, I was in a council meeting, an elder meeting with our church elders, and we were talking about the Ten Commandments. And I had this epiphany as we were talking about the the Ten Commandments. I had this epiphany that as a pastor, if I break nine of the commandments, right? If I um, if I you know steal from the church, I'll probably lose my job. If I um, you know start preaching another gospel i'll probably lose my job if i murder somebody i'll definitely lose my job and it dawned on me for like the very first time that if i if i don't take a day of rest every week that i'll probably get a raise Mm. and it was and that it dawned on me for the first time that uh breaking the sabbath is literally the one commandment we incentivize people to break
0: yeah yeah that's true huh
2: <laughs> so i i i thought that's stupid so we should talk about that and studied it and spent a couple years writing on it and the but the irony i mean i say all this stuff the irony is that i've written a book on the sabbath but i'm the most often the most hostile to it i mean i'm i'm a i'm a Jesus had words for people like me. We're called hypocrites. Hmm. We talk a lot about it and don't do it. And that's the that's the American way, isn't it? Uh truth truth is but a rumor until it lives in your muscles. And um I'm still asking God to teach me how to live the Sabbath. The good news is I really believe in it now. The the next step is actually starting to do it well.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um so have you have you seen change in your church, aside from, you know, tons of people leaving, it sounds like, um, have Have you seen any positive changes in your church since you started being more open about this idea? You said they mm-hmm. were really tired at the time.
2: Yep. Well, I wouldn't say tons of people left, um, and generally speaking, people don't leave in droves, but of all the times that we've had people that were frustrated or left, it was more than any other, but I wouldn't say it was tons, but I would say that for the people in our community, um, that have embraced, uh, the Sabbath, uh, message, it has been profoundly life-giving, uh, families that have been transformed and renewed because of this day of, of rest. Um, you know, I, I would say one of the critical changes for us as a, as a, as a team, as a leadership team and as an eldership team and, as a staff is we just have a better capacity at having boundaries with people. So we know how to say no to people. Well, so not only do we know how to say no to people, but we are also learning how to respect other people's no's, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like when you, when you have Sabbath boundaries, I think, uh, it teaches you a skill set around saying no, but it simultaneously teaches you that if you don't honor other people's rest, that you're just being Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. So, you know the if if my Sabbath is somebody else's slavery, then I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, uh, my Sabbath, my rest must mean the same for other people as well. Which is why I mean I I give frankly I have all sorts of political opinions about you know Chick fil A and Hobby Lobby, but I give them I give them credit because they lose billions of dollars every year uh, to shut down one day a week so people can go home and be with their families. Uh, People in power have the most influence over rest in our society. The reason, uh, I I mean, one of the reasons that the Sabbath is really hard for me and that that I really theologically and ethically wrestle with it is what about the poor? You know, the poor do the, is this, is rest, is Sabbath just a mark of privilege? What about the poor? Uh, Yeah, sure. What about the single single mother of eight who, uh, you know, who has to work 90 hours a week just to put food on the table you know what about what about her? Yeah, uh, and I've come to the conclusion actually that the the poor do not rest because the rich don't. Uh, that that we because the rich are willing to rest, the poor are never given an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that being a pastor puts you in a position of power, and that we're accountable for that power. And if we're using that power to burn people out, that's that's called Egypt. Yeah, the Bible has a word for that.
1: Wow. Yeah. One of the big things that I think about when I think about Sabbath is that of control. You know, and so we we love control and I, I think that goes back to kind of the American dream idea at the beginning too. Like we we want to strive, we want to be in control, we want to achieve. Um and Sabbath is a it serves as a reminder that the world continues to exist, continues to revolve kind of without our our involvement, um, and that God is actually in control, um, that God continues to work. He doesn't need us. He doesn't require us to work, you know, to give everything we've got and to burn ourselves out. Um, but it, it's just a good reminder for me to kind of step back and to to realize I'm not as important as I maybe like to think I am at times. Mm. Yeah. Well,
2: the, the, the story of um, Moses going up the mountain, right? When he goes up the mountain after Israel has uh, been brought out of Egypt, he goes up the mountain to receive, talk about a mountaintop experience. He goes up to receive the 10 commandments, not bad, and comes down and, what does he find all of God's people worshiping a golden calf? I mean, when you, you look at that story through the lens of a pastor, particularly, you look at it through the lens of this idea of control as you're talking about. Mm. Uh, I mean, that story of Moses going up the mountain is exactly why most pastors don't take a Sabbath, is we're, we're terrified about what's going to happen when we're gone. And, of mm. course, one of, one of those fears is that we're going to come back down the mountain and see God's people worshiping a golden calf, and realize that we're not as good of leaders as we thought we were.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, But that actually is not the one that motivates me, and I don't think it's the one that motivates most people. I think most people are afraid of going up the mountain, coming back down, and everybody's still worshiping God and realizing you're not near as important as you thought you were. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, gosh.
2: (laughs) We're we're terrified of taking a day and coming back and turning our phones off and everything's fine. Because we love... (laughs) We love we love to to believe in the idea that we really are central. That we are we are we are the <laughs> that we're that we're the glue that holds the church together.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Man. And yeah. it f- and it feels it feels good. It feels too good when you hear that. Um I I mean it's
1: it's almost like drugs. Well, yeah, it goes back to I think to that that narcissism, that addiction that you know that we as leaders have, um, and it feeds us on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. Um, so tell us we got a we got a few minutes left here. Um, uh, tell us kind of what what God's been teaching you at this phase in your life, um, and like where you um, where you see your life, your ministry headed in the future. Mm.
2: Well, uh, this is a a season of repentance for me. It's a season of uh, coming back to Jesus. I um, believe more now that Jesus is the only hope in the world anymore. Um, Jesus is the only way to God. Without Jesus, we are completely toast. Um, And this summer, my wife and I took a sabbatical. And during our sabbatical, we had some realizations about our, um, I shouldn't say our, my idolatry, my idolatry of, of, um, wanting to be everywhere but home. And so I'm, I'm in a season of of repentance and it's very painful. It's very hard. God is, um, bringing me back down to earth. And, um, you know, I, a spiritual director of mine told me this picture and he said that the this, you felt like this was the story of my life the story of, of Dorothy and The Wizard of Oz um, that the beginning of, of, of the movie is the story of a girl who lives in this small town who's is completely discontent with the place that she's been put and she goes on this dream of a long journey um, and w- which was all a dream it wasn't it was a facade it wasn't even real but she goes on this this journey and then the very end of the movie of course is that she wakes up back in the very place where she really wanted to be. She just didn't know it. And that's back home. Um, I, I feel like my life in the last couple of months has been the parable of the prodigal son. I, um, we always read the parable, of the prodigal son of the son who runs away to go off and live a land of sin, to go, to go off and, and, uh, and live a life of sin and then come back to the father, but I sometimes think that the parable of the prodigal son is not the younger son who runs away to go sin he runs away to go speak at pastor's conferences um, mm-hmm. and and he need and he needs to come home so i'm I'm learning that I need to come home and that i uh, wow. I've used my inheritance to go uh, try to be a Christian celebrity. And Jesus is bringing me back.
1: Hmm. Now, I uh, so for for me, some of the thoughts right now, it's like certainly you're, you know, like you you won't necessarily like you'll continue to write and you'll continue to speak. You know, maybe not as often or um, like I, I don't know. Maybe that's kind of imposing here. So, what I get? What is your response in that? In the words,
2: in the, in the words of any young person, uh, I, I would just say, "Too soon, <laughs> <laughs> too soon, man, too soon."
1: Yeah, it's
2: too raw. I, I, I don't. Um, you know, the Lord calls us to repent, and and when you read the the people that Jesus called to Himself, um, I, I always, you know, we we talk about repentance as leaving bad things right we leave sin we leave evil we leave darkness we leave and that's one dimension of repentance but there's another dimension of repentance when jesus said to matthew come leave your tax collector's booth he was saying leave leave behind your good paying job when he said to the other disciples leave your family and come follow me he was asking them to leave really good things when he said leave your boat behind he was asking them to leave really good things Sometimes repentance is not leaving sin behind. Sometimes repentance is leaving really good opportunities yeah. behind and coming back to Jesus. Um, and that's that's probably the more painful kind of repentance than leaving sin. We all can stop sinning. That's that's something that we all it's, – it's leaving behind the extracurricular that's really, really – the good thing. Leaving behind the good things is really painful.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a good word for – for anyone man holy cow um cool well if uh if people want to um not i mean we it it feels weird to even say this after we just talked about um (laughs) (laughs) uh (laughs) christian uh celebrity stuff but um if people people want to find you and interact with you online um where where can they find you
2: yeah mr aj swoboda is just my handle on twitter and then uh, I have a website AJswoboda uh, dot, dot com that that uh, you can find other resources of just things that I've had the opportunity to get to do so you can engage that way um.
0: wonderful awesome yeah um, yeah guys. I'll, I'll you say get, you uh oh sorry what
2: no this is a great podcast you guys are doing great work and talking about this stuff is uh, is is rarely discussed in these kinds of ways and it's it's a uh, it's a good thing you're doing really good work keep it up
0: well, thanks. Uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been having a good time with it. Uh, people, w- we got in we got in some fights pretty early on with people because they they were like, no, no, no. Uh, su- success is important, and we're like, yeah, no, I know, but and and then we we couldn't really figure out what um, <laughs> what exactly um, right. you know we were we were actually trying to say. It's a conversation that uh, doesn't. It it doesn't sit right on on either side, and so um, and it kind of it kind of flies against anything you'll hear at a big conference or anything. So um, mm. yeah, so we but it's led to some interesting talks with people for sure. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for being here. This has been great. Yeah, cool.
2: thank you guys. Grace and peace, and keep up the good work. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: and for the SSS podcast, I'm David.
1: And I'm Josh.
0: And we will see you next time.